Hey, this is Jay Jones. Thanks for checking out Conform to Christ. Just wanted to let you know you're about to listen to a special episode. Uh, maybe we'll do more of them in the future, kind of just called Profiles or Christian Profiles. And in this one, I'm about to interview my grandfather, who is a World War II veteran. And uh, I'm not going to edit it at all. Um, we come from different backgrounds. He's 91 years old. So he's going to say some things in here that, uh, you know, I wouldn't agree with as a as a Baptist and don't really match the theology of our podcast. Um, but I'm not gonna not gonna argue with a 91 year old man. You know, we're very much alike, and we would be arguing all day long. And he's older. I want to respect him, uh, so I just don't think it's worth arguing. With him. But it is very educational, so I'd consider it that. And you know, what's really funny is I I thought he would say some really culturally inappropriate things. I think of my grandfather kind of like um, Clint, e- uh, what is his name? Is Clint, Clint Eastwood in Gran Torino. There it is. He's like Clint Eastwood in Gran Torino, but like more Christian version. <laughs> so that's what you're about to listen to is me interviewing him. Is a very uh, neat personality. I hope you enjoy it. I hope it's beneficial to you. Thanks for listening to Conform to Christ. Thank you for listening to the Conform to Christ podcast, where we seek to engage the mind, affect the heart, and call people to follow Christ. I'm Jay Jones, and I'm here today with a special guest for a special free-for-all Friday with my Grandpa Jones, Grandpa Jones from right. Virginia. And uh, this will be kind of like maybe a new segment we'll start. We'll call it like Profiles, Profiles and in just interviewing people. Mm-hmm. So... I wanted to have you on today, because um, I don't know if I'll have you out here again. Uh, you know, we live in Oklahoma, you live in Virginia, right. and also uh, another one of the reasons I wanted to have you out here is you're a World War II veteran, and um, of the 16 million people that served in World War II, did you know there's only about 300,000 that are left Yeah, that you can talk to today? Well, they say this, I've heard this, that there are 30,000 World War II veterans dying a month. Mm. And uh, I heard this also in a couple more years, there won't be uh, many World War II veterans left. Yep. I think I'm about the fourth, third or fourth uh, World War II veteran that went into service as young as I did. I went in at 15 years old. Yep, we'll get there. We'll get there in a second. I'm going to ask you okay. about that. So I wanted to have you out here to, um, because I think something that people miss is not there are not a lot of people unless you live around a military right. place that even think about or will even talk to uh, of just a veteran in general, and then on uh, you know on top of that a World War II veteran. They just never talk to them, and it's really that's really kind of a shame. Because, you know, they say that this is the greatest generation, and your generation did a lot of awesome and really great things, not just for America, but really for the whole world. And so I think it's good for people, especially even people in the church, to know about veterans and to give honor honor to veterans. Um, You know, one one of the saddest things I've ever seen in my life was I went uh, over to a World War II veteran in a mall, and he was so angry and um, bitter at the world. And I think part of that has to do with um, people in the civilian world just forget about veterans. Yeah, you do. know what I mean? Yes. And and so I think, you know, the Bible tells us to give honor where honor is due, and so we need to try to take opportunities to do that. So thanks for having Thanks for coming and being on this, because I know you know this is a this is a out of the ordinary type of deal for you, right? You ever been on a podcast before? <laughs> I don't think so. No, <laughs> first time, first time for everything. Well, everywhere I go, uh, I get announced mm-hmm. instead of you know more than anything else. Yeah, uh, I go to a place in uh, uh, Middle Ocean, Virginia. Mm-hmm. Uh, they cater to, uh, veterans 
uh, there. And uh, World War II veterans uh, can have anything they want on the house free. Mm -hmm. And they're about the only uh, place I've ever seen like that that really honors veterans. And I've been announced over there, I know, over 12 or 13 times. Every time I go, I'm announced in that place. I'm about the only World War II veteran that shows up in there, you know. Yeah. And if there is another World War II veteran in there, we get our pictures taken together. Yeah, that's neat. And uh, uh, I do I commend those people. They tell me, though, the two men that started uh, Missions and Barbecue, mm-hmm. uh, they have never been in the military, but they are honoring World War II veterans and firemen and yeah. and uh, Korean and and Afghanistan veterans and yeah. and I I just think it's a wonderful thing, but I tell you I I didn't know uh, uh, they was honoring World War II veterans until missions got started. Ah, that's cool. But I'm honored just about everywhere I go. That's nice. That's really good. And so uh, and the same, you know, it's kind of. I see that that's kind of the way it goes. Usually when people find out about a World War II veteran, that's the case. And then, you know, what the sad thing is, is though, that, that, that America didn't treat uh, Vietnam veterans the same way. That's kind of maybe I'll interview a Vietnam veteran on here next because they had a rough time coming home. Yeah, well, that, that disturbs me a little bit, too. Yeah. I have a victory medal. Mm-hmm. And if I get around... Some of the uh, veterans that come out of Vietnam and all, the, some of them will walk away from me. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that's right. I think they ought to have some kind of victory medal yeah, like we do, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, and, to help, uh, just to kind of help them to process it and have some closure and everything they want. Well, I'm gonna and I'm gonna ask gonna ask you uh, some questions starting with the beginning of your life. So to me, you're well, you always been my grandpa in Virginia. Yeah. You're my grandpa in Virginia. Right? I, I grew up in the in the army. We moved around all over the place, yeah. and I had grandpa in Virginia. I got grandpa in Oklahoma. That's how I you know I grew up. And so you didn't grow up though in Virginia, right? You grew up in North Carolina. No. You grew up in North Carolina, Yeah, North Carolina, North right. Carolina right. Mm-hmm. Uh, I never had much of a home life. Uh, what was one? Let me ask you, what was one of your earliest memories in North Carolina? Can you think back then when you were a real young man? Oh, I can think about school. Mm-hmm. Uh, I went to Edgemont School in uh, West End in Durham, North Carolina. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, I was a safety patrolman there. Mm-hmm. I did get some good grades, you know. And uh, But we left there and went to Beaufort and Moorhead City in North Carolina, and uh-huh. I grew up down there. Where would you say, like, your class was? Were you guys, uh, like, middle class, or were you poor or rich? What, how would you grow up? Well, my dad, he was a high-line builder, uh-huh. uh that was my stepfather. My real daddy died when I was about 12 years old. Uh, we went through some of the uh, uh, rough times, you know, back in 1935 and all that. We went through the polio uh, disease thing, you know, and mm-hmm. nobody never wore a mask back there then, you know. And uh, I had a cousin who uh, developed that disease, and he went lame in his foot. You know, mm. and it was kind of rough time uh, back there in that day and time. Uh, it was kind of rough. Mm-hmm. You ate what was put before you on the table, mm. and uh, uh, it was kind of rough back there then. Uh, I went to work in Beaufort, North Carolina, at eleven years old, mm. uh, and then after that, I went to Kears Beach, North Carolina. And the manager in that place put an apron on me, and I started washing dishes. You believe that? How old were you? <laughs> About 12 years old. <laughs> and hey, then, hey, maybe Brooke will listen to this. Start doing some dishes around my house. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> but I never, I never had a boyhood life. But uh, in Beaufort, Moorhead City, I, I sell boats all the time. Mm-hmm. And I had old Red Bone Hound, who was my companion. Mm-hmm. And then after I left there, we went back to Durham, North Carolina, and I was 15 years old. And I didn't have no work to do. Uh, 
I never finished the sixth grade of school. And, uh, oh, Lord. Uh, I went downtown to get me a job at the A&P store. You remember when they those stores uh, were prevalent, you know, in cities, but they closed them all down. But I was going down there and get me a job. And I went down to in front of Ellis Stone uh, Clothing Store, and the recruiting station was right across the street. So I wound up in the recruiting station, and I told a bunch of lies, and they took me what, what year into was this? the Air Force. 1945. Uh, 1945. So so at, at 15 years old, you go in the recruiting station. War, right. The war is still going on, right? It's not over yet? It won't over yet. It was not officially over yet. That's well, what made me a World War II veteran. Yeah, so you you gave, you gave them a false name. Yeah, Harvey and Morgan the Third, And you got right into the—and they let you in the service. And they took me right in. Uh, I know the Lord had something to do with it because I didn't have nowhere to go or nothing to do. And, and uh, I always will believe the Lord had something to do with that. Mm-hmm. Well, we, you know, we believe in the providence of God, that God, God, uh, man plans his ways, but the Lord determines his steps. That's what, that's what the Bible tells us. And we believe that. So, you know, you, you at 15, uh, God was direct, directing your yeah. path. And there you found yourself, a 15 year old leaving home. That's kind of strange to think about. That's two years young, almost two years younger than my son. Yeah. He's about to be 17. I always tell him, you know, uh, uh he, he he's a teenager. He's he, he's a good teenager though compared to most teenagers. I believe that, yeah. Right. But he'll do something that's, you know, dumb like most teenagers do. And I, I always remind him, hey, you know, when I was in Iraq, they had seventeen year olds on the back of Humvees uh mountain mm-hmm. fifty cows. I'm pretty sure you can clean your room. <laughs> right. right. Seventeen year olds rolling around. Uh they got people's lives in their hands. So there you were at fifteen in the Army Air Corps going off to World War Two. Right. So what did you do while you were uh, deployed? Uh, I had two or three jobs. <clears throat> when I was in the Air Force, the, uh, you know, they let me do anything I wanted to then. Uh-huh. I drove gasoline trucks. I refueled airplanes. Uh, then they put me on the flight line. I worked myself up to a uh, reciprocating engine aircraft mechanic. They gave me a MOS number 747. And then uh, I wound up in the Berlin airlift, and I worked on airplanes there. And uh, somebody told some high-ranking officer that I wanted to fly. Then they put me in the third seat in a C-54 aircraft, and I became a flight engineer. Okay. And uh, I I, uh, worked and promoted my own self. I got four years of college hanging on my wall. At home, you know, by mm-hmm. discharging all this, my ministerial license and all. And uh, I just can't prove I've ever been to college. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you go to, to World War II, and you know what's usually, when you, you go to, uh, when you're deployed, you come back and say, you're different than when you left. So how would you say that changed you, and how were you different when you came back home? I was a grown man. Did you see the world differently than when you left? I I never had a boyhood life. I couldn't tell you about a boyhood life. But I was never afraid of anything. I got on a boxing team Mm -hmm. in the United States Air Force. I even fought in the Pentagon. Mm -hmm. And uh, I never have been afraid of anything. Never. Not even great white sharks? I didn't know what fear was. Not even scared of sharks? Well, they swim with them down in Johnson Island. <laughs> right. That's what I tell people. I say I'm not. I tell people all the time. I'm not afraid of anything. Except That's the for, first. Except for God and great yeah. and great white sharks. Right. You, you you if I find myself out in the ocean and there's a great white shark, I'm just gonna have a heart attack and die. They're not even gonna. They ain't even gonna eat me. I'm just gonna die right there. Well, you know we uh Johnson Island. They were full of white white sharks. You know, mm-hmm. and the first one I ever seen was about 18 foot long. And that, sh- that shark would have weighed about 1,800 pounds, I reckon. But she gave birth to about five sharks while they had her hanging up. But that, that shark, we used to take, some of them used to take a, home, a, a comb and hit the back of their hand and get blood mm-hmm. flowing and put their hand in the water and shake it around, and that will call the sharks. <laughs> <laughs> 
I I do I don't I don't advise that. I don't either. Not advised. Not anymore. I don't advise. <laughs> we were crazy back there, did. Yeah. yeah. Well, but, some, uh, when when you're in the service, you always do kind of crazy things yeah. to entertain yourself. We had a one time we were in a uh, we we're sitting around. We caught a a, a, a big scorpion, and mm-hmm. we and then we caught a camel spider, and we put, made a little octagon and uh-huh. put them in there, and and uh, they and we watched them battle each other. Oh. That's what we did. Oh, okay. All <laughs> that's right. Pro- that's probably like uh, the people. People are listening. Like this is the most inappropriate podcast ever. <laughs> you can't have animals fight each other for entertainment. Well, a lot of them do that, you know. That's what we. <laughs> they do that. Oh man. So that's yeah. That's that's interesting. So you come back. You say you were different. You were a grown man when you came back home. So what did you do then? You, uh, came, you came back from the war. Well, I came back. And my dad and mom lived on Lombardy Street in Richmond, Virginia. So that's how you wound up in Virginia? That's how I wound up in Virginia. And uh, I seen this girl walking down the street, and I whistled at her. And uh, we got married, and all this— <laughs> Hey, you skipped a few steps. <laughs> all this happened in 1949. I got out of service in 49, got uh-huh. married in 1949, and had all these children. So that's one of them. So that's my baby girl over there. You're going too fast. People people are going to wonder. You whistle that lady. She didn't turn around and smack you in the face? Nope. The, the nope. same grandma I I'm think thinking I of. I surprised her. Because <laughs> the grandma that I'm thinking of might have smacked you. She might have smacked you. You yeah. sure you're not skipping that out? No, she didn't ever smack me. Okay. So she she turned around. Maybe she liked the way you looked. She said, "Here's a. I here, believe she did. Here's a strapping young serviceman. Yeah. And then you guys started talking. Went on a few dates or what? Well, I had an old 1941 Ford that I bought when I got discharged from the Air Force in Fairfield, California, and I drove it all the way across country. Mm-hmm. And I taught her how to drive that 1941 Ford. Mm-hmm. And uh." We love. We fell in love with each other. We didn't have nothing. We didn't have no money. Uh, I think uh, we went to North Carolina on uh, fifty dollars. I had in my pocket back then. You had to get a blood test to get married, and we spent that money down there. You know, the three days was a long day. We came back to Virginia, and her daddy gave her fifty dollars. So we went back to get the blood test results. You know, and. Uh, we got married down there, and uh, yeah, and I, oh lord, that's that's my grandma Mavis. Yeah, we had been married uh, seventy-one years. She passed away in October. We had a good life. Mm-hmm. I'm a crybaby. That's okay, Grandpa. <laughs> well. Most people today can't be married for seven months. You, yeah, I know that. You, you've been married. You were married seventy-one years. Well, they use it in love for lust. Mm-hmm. You know. Uh, I found out one thing during all this. The Bible says love is the greatest gift in the Bible. Mm-hmm. It's even greater than faith. And uh, that's what we did. We lived off love. Mm-hmm. And. Uh, uh, we raised four children, and I raised them for God. And if they were backslide, I'm coming after you. <laughs> so you married 71 years. Why don't you give uh, people that are listening some, some uh, what's, what's some good marriage tips? Well, if you have an argument, the best thing to do is to make up, and yeah. it's more fun making up than it is arguing. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. It is. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's where you fall deeper in love. You know. You know what I kind of found is that when talking to people, people that will argue with each other actually have better better marriages than people that don't argue. Well, did, they did get you know rid that? Of what's on their mind? You know. Yeah, uh, that's right. And uh, it makes you feel free. Uh-huh. Uh huh. But. Uh, it it will draw you close together, mm-hmm. and uh, the Bible says that you're one 
you're one together, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, my soul becomes her soul, and her soul becomes my soul. That's the thing. When you get married, and the Lord don't give no grounds for excuse uh, for divorce mm-hmm. except fornication. Mm-hmm. But Jesus said in the beginning it was not so that never uh, mm-hmm. never divorced. Yeah. And he was talking about Adam and Eve, I think, during that generation. Yeah. But uh, Jesus said in the beginning, he told those Pharisees and Sadducees, he says in the beginning it was not so. What God has joined together, let not man put asunder. Yeah. And man is putting asunder today like you wouldn't believe. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that's one of the great uh, legacies that you'll leave behind is that you were married for 71 years, and there are not a lot of people that could say that. First off, you know, first off, you got to live a long. Both of you got to live a long time. Yeah, and then you got to follow what God says and stay committed to each other. Right. She was a great Christian woman. She uh, she was she had the gift of interpretation. Mm-hmm. Uh. Some uh, I remember Morris Rillo, he was a converted Jew. Uh, he came to Richmond and held uh, big meetings, and, you know, people would speak in tongues there, and she could interpret it, you know. She, she had a great spiritual gift, mm. and uh, she was a great spiritual woman. Yeah. Now, when y'all were together, did y'all just have a lot of material prosperity, Is or, or did that— was that even part of it? I think that's what people think today. If I'm gonna have a happy marriage, well, I gotta have uh, success and I gotta have a lot of material prosperity, or we're not gonna be able to make a, a marriage work. That's what people think today. Well, they think I gotta, I gotta, I gotta get a job, I gotta get a certain amount of money, and then after I get that, then I can get a wife, and then if I get even more money, well, then I can have kids. What do you think about that? Well, I tell you what I did. I. Uh, Worked at a cigarette factory for 14 years, and uh, I had a good friend called Melvin Wright. He had a tile company. Mm-hmm. Uh, I quit that job. I didn't like make cigarettes no how. That's why I wondered. I always wondered how you started laying tile. You did that a long time. Well, I started him, and I, and I went into business for my own self. Mm-hmm. I worked day and night by myself. And uh, how many years you laid tile for? About eighteen years, I think. Really? Because I yeah, I I remember you laying tile a long time. Yeah, and uh, you sure you didn't lay tile longer than that? No, I quit. <laughs> you quit doing it? <laughs> I wore my knees it, out. It wore you out. Wore it out. I wore my knees out. And I tell you, they do some beautiful tile work up here in uh, Oklahoma. Yeah, yeah. I've, I check out everything, you know. You like the tile at uh Yeah, I like at, that. At yeah. my dad's house, that whole house yeah. full of tile. Yeah, I That's like that. That's a lot that. of work. Yeah, they did a good job on that. We laid they, tile in my house. Yeah. I ain't doing it anymore. One time only. That's all I need to learn a lesson. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You have to be a good tile setter to leave good pretty tile. Uh but I worked for I worked at that for I worked day and night laying tile. I got my uh, mission worker's license in 1962, I think. That was to give me permission mm-hmm. to preach around in other churches, you know. Well, we got back up first. I got to know, when did you first hear the gospel, that Jesus is God in the flesh and that he died for your sins on a cross, that he rose from the dead conquering death, who who told you the gospel? How did you hear it first? Was uh, that it? Was that in the war? You know, I didn't. Uh, that that's a mystery to me. I uh, I came into Christianity. Uh, I don't know. Well, I went to a church one night. Mm-hmm. I walked down the street. I was about uh, I don't know, maybe nine or ten years old. They say that when I was little, I had double pneumonia. Mm-hmm. And Mama uh, called a preacher in, and he prayed for him, and the Lord healed me. That's when you couldn't get healed by anything. Hardly didn't have no medicine then, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, I went to church one night by myself. I walked up the street, and I walked into that church. And that preacher put his hands on me, 
and prayed for me, and I felt the power of God go clean through me. And that's when I should have started out my Christianity, but I didn't. Mm. I left it right there. But I didn't ever give my heart to God or anything like that, you know. Mm. Uh, but when I was laying on the bunk in Clinton County Air Force Base, that's when we was flying C-119 airplanes, mm-hmm. the Lord came to me and put his arms around me and, like, scared me to death. And I told the Lord, I said, if you let me get back to Richmond, Virginia, I'll get straight. So I came back, and I got got saved and sanctified and got filled with the Holy Ghost. You were doing some stuff back, back then you shouldn't uh, have been doing? As you say, God God convicted you? No, I didn't get no conviction anything. He just put his arms around me, and I knew the Lord was after me then. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, uh, I come back to Richmond, and I got myself straight. Mm-hmm. And I picked up my Bible, and I went to preaching. And my tutor was— so you come, uh, well, hang on, you come back, and you say that's when you got saved, when you come back from the yeah, war? Yeah, come back. I quit the Air Force. Mm-hmm. I gave up airplanes. I loved airplanes better than I did my wife. I ain't lying. <laughs> I love to fly. <laughs> and uh, I reckon they know that. Uh, uh, I was in the reserve a long time. I flew more in the reserve than I did in the regular Air Force. Mm. And uh, that's how I got. I, uh, my tutor was Brother Shropshire. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Lord, for helping me remember his name. And he was an aide to Colonel Charles Lindbergh. Mm. I, didn't, I didn't know that till he died. But the Lord somehow had kept me around airplanes all the time. And uh, I quit the Air Force. I went to preaching. And uh, so I got another I- set of preacher's license called... Uh, I don't know what to call them, but I got three sets of preacher's license. And then I uh, I went to school just like yeah. they did at Bible school, you know, and took all my tests and all, and I was ordained. You s- Good night, when? Uh, I think I was ordained in 1968, somewhere back there. So my dad said, you know, you, you work bivocational pretty much the whole time, right? And he, one of the things he also told me is you pastored, and you were the pastor of churches and of people that most people never want to be a pastor of, uh, and a place they most yeah. people don't ever want to be at. So somewhere up in the mountains in Virginia, and that's where you spent your time and your life being a pastor well, at. See, uh, churches uh, uh, were run different then. I was under the, uh, I was under the powers of the stationing committee. That's when they sent preachers where they wanted them to go. They mm-hmm. were not voted for. Right. And I pastored uh, 10 churches in my 50 years of preaching. And Did you have some of them at the same time because they're smaller and you had to go to different ones? Oh, or? I drove over 200 miles a Sunday, I reckon. So you dr- never preach for salary. So you, you, you drive to one, preach, and then drive to a different one? Yeah. How many in one day? Well, some. Well, I, I preached. Uh, they gave me a church, regular church. I'd stay there two or three years, and they'd send me to another one, uh-huh. you know. And I preached all over the state of Virginia, just about. Mm-hmm. Fredericksburg, Petersburg, Lynchburg. Uh, I don't know where in the world all I've ever been. Uh, but our kids used to go with me. I'd just throw them in the car, and here we'd go down the road, you know. Yeah. And they'd have to almost run over, run into church to sit by that pot-bellied stove to get warm. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. But uh, I, and, I tell the Lord And this. you were doing it as, like, uh, bivocational, right? Like, you weren't you weren't a full-time paid per- pastor. No, Is I that- never, never got— Paid for preaching, except some some expense money, expense money for gasoline. <clears throat> I haven't heard one time that you spent your own money to get the the electricity or something turned back on in the church. Oh, good night. I paid insurance. Uh, I had an old uh, hearse bus, you know, mm-hmm. and I paid insurance on that. I think uh, everything I did, I just paid my way, and uh, the Lord had blessed me for it. And uh, I've got more money now than I've ever had in my life. 
I'm getting along pretty good. The Lord retired me. Mm-hmm. I come home one night down the car in my car uh, from a service. I was 62 years old. Mm-hmm. And I hit hit a drum in the in the road, you know, and it woke me up. Mm-hmm. And uh, the Lord said retire. Mm-hmm. So he gave me two dreams about retiring, so I retired. Okay. And uh, I've been happy ever since. Right. Well, that's good. You know, I think it's one thing that people, when they listen, they remember is um, when you look on TV, people seem to think that pastors are people who have a, have a lot of money, because that's what's on TV. People, pastors with a lot of money, they think pastors do this for money. They ain't got no money. But in, rea- but in reality, uh, what the world doesn't realize is I would say probably like 99% of pastors, they... Uh, they're not, they don't do it for money. They do it because they feel like this is what God called them to do, and they're going to do it whether they get paid any money or not. Right. That's really, I think, the truth of most pastors. And so you get to bear other people's problems, listen to their burdens in addition to all your own, and most people will do it simply because they want to do what God's called them to do. Yeah, you know, right. uh, God compares, uh, through Paul, God tells Paul, who tells Timothy, that he has to suffer like a good soldier. Okay. And that's really what I think, it, being a pastor, a real pastor, is more like that. Right. And you're going to do it whether you're going to get paid or not, or whether anybody right. recognizes you or not. And I think that's another good part of your life that you'll leave behind in addition to right. your marriage, is nobody's ever going to accuse you of being a pastor because you're trying to get money, right? You're just trying to do it because you want to do that. No, they couldn't do that. <laughs> <laughs> you just try to be faithful and uh, take care of people, do what God called you to do. Nobody will know. And this is a good thing, actually. I don't know if you know this is a good thing or not, that when you die, church history will not know your name. Do you know that's a good thing? Maybe. You know why it's a good thing? Huh? Because Let me hear it. Okay. Because if you get reward in this life, you forfeit it in the next. Oh, I don't know... Uh... I would like to tell you this. <laughs> I don't know where Jerry would like this a lot. But the Lord has gave me three gifts. I and uh one better- I believe in having dreams and visions. Uh the Lord promised me a vesture of clear crystal metals. I asked him about that because we wear metals up here, you know. And he showed me this vesture of clear crystal metals mm. that he's going I'm going to give me when I get to heaven. The next thing he showed me that I was going to have a unicorn horse. Now that's hard to believe, but I had uh the Lord uh proved that to me. He showed me uh in a dream or vision of a unicorn horse. It was full of colors. Uh, and uh I went to my uh, other daughter's house that lived in Lynchburg, and I was messing around in there. She keeps a whole lot of trinkets, you know, and I found a unicorn horse bro- brooch that was the same color the Lord showed me in that dream. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, not only that, this ring I got on right here, Jim and Robin gave me this ring, I don't know, two or three years ago. And I put this ring on my finger, and when I put it on my finger, the Lord said, you're a bishop. You know? But I don't go around telling everybody that I'm a bishop. I believe there's going to come a day that when I will have that name, you know? Mm. And uh, there was golden clothes that went with that saying too and uh i just can't wait till i get to heaven i'm excited about going to heaven yeah i am uh heaven is a real place people don't believe that but heaven is a real place i'm going to a city that's 1500 miles high six thousand miles in circumference and i told the lord i want the highest mansion it was in that city and I really believe that. That's what the Lord has gave me. I gave it to the Lord, so he's given it back to me. Yeah. And I had another dream about a golden beam dream. And if I, uh, he told me to go pick it up, I picked it up and it flew through the sky with it. And uh, 
I believe I'm going to become more richer than I am now down here. Mm -hmm. And when I went through the air with that golden beam, half of it broke off. So I believe the other half is what I'm going to give to this world before I die. Yeah. Um, so a couple, I'll ask you one, a couple more questions and we'll be done. Um, Jesus got a couple of parables. One is about a treasure in a field. Mm -hmm. The other is about a pearl of great price. And it's a, these parables are about the kingdom. And in reality, what he's preaching about is the treasure of the universe. So uh, the way the parables unfold, the person that discovers this treasure in a field will sell anything in their yeah. life, anything of material worth in order to gain the treasure. And of course, I believe the parable is about Jesus himself. So that would tell me that Jesus is the most valuable treasure in all of the right. known universe. Right. So if most people today, I think, like the idea of heaven, right? They say, I like to go to heaven because, you know, I go to heaven, I get to see my dead relatives, and, you know, I'll get a mansion or I'll get this or whatever I didn't have in this life. But what if you could go to that place, but Jesus wasn't there? Could you still go to that place? No. I'm going to heaven to see Jesus more, more than anything. Uh-oh. He is a pearl of great price. Yep. I'll put that in your mouth. He is a pearl of great price. I know uh, he has really been with me. He has helped me. Uh, his anointing is greater than anything when you're preaching the gospel. His anointing is great when you're casting out demons. I've seen demons. I've casted them out of people. And uh, the power is just great, just great. I went to a church one night, uh, and I took over the whole service. They invited me to come back the next night, so I went. And there was a woman there that was demon-possessed. And I walked... <laughs> I walked back where she was at, and I began to pray for that woman. And she says, I'm not free yet. So I, I said, in the name of Jesus, I said, you come out of her. And two things crawled out of her. It looked like snakes. And she said, I'm free. I'm free. I tell you, preachers have a great responsibility. I mean, we're dealing with individuals. And we have to deal with individuals with a friendly, Christ-like uh, action, you know. And uh, I think that's the greatest gift that God has ever put on a man, to give somebody else the love of Christ. Yeah, yeah, to preach, to preach the gospel. Um, yeah, Charles Spurgeon said, if uh, something like this, if God's called you to be a preacher— don't you can't settle uh, settle to be a king? What do you think about that? <laughs> you can't settle to can't be a settle, king. You, you can't settle because he's what he's saying is to well, be not to on, be, not to be on a king. To, to not be a king would be less. Yeah, yeah. I don't think you should settle to be a king in materialism. Mm -hmm. The Lord has promised us a king or a priest uh, uh, thing when we get to heaven. Two more questions, and then because you've been here a long time, and I appreciate you sitting down I with us. I don't care we said you're all day. <laughs> all right. Uh, so this one, this will be more personal. What is the big? Because because this the purpose of this. You know, we want other people to listen and to right. learn, right? Right. Other Christians listen to this and learn. What's the biggest failure in your life? I'd hate to tell you this. Uh... Oh Lord, I really have. I had. I went through some hard times. Uh, sometimes, uh, me and my wife. Uh, I left one time and went out to uh, Missouri. My uh, oldest brother was out there. Mm. He's a World War II veteran, you know, and. Uh, 
I went up there with him, and I had it on my mind to throw a big party while I was out there. And you know, while I left, the Lord would not leave me. He stayed with me, and uh, I was going out there with my brother and have a big time, you know. But when I got out there, he was saved. He done gave, gave his heart to God, and oh, man, that just... You know, that set me free. And I went to church out there, and the preacher up there called me up there to, pre to pray, and I was so anointed praying. I never, I was going to fail, but I didn't. The mm. Lord held me up. The Lord will hold a Christian up. So you'd say, so you had hard times in your marriage, and you and you took off? Well, we had a off. few hard times, yeah. So you took off out there yeah. to get away? Get away. And your plan, your plan was, were you going to? Come back, or it. you just thought I'm just gonna run away? I came back. Oh. Uh, of course, her brother called me up, and uh, I came back. I never thought I'd ever get to tell this, but I found out one thing: if a man is going to start to go the other way, you know, backslide, mm -hmm. the Lord will not leave him. He will not leave him until the Lord, until you ask him to leave. And the Lord never left me. Yeah, well, here, here's one thing you and I would probably disagree on. I'd say the Lord never leave leave you, even if you ask him to leave. It's like this, right? It, Jesus says he'll lose none of his own, and no one can snatch them out of his hand. And I would say well, that includes us. Well, so it'd be like that. this. When, when, when you have a child in a parking lot, right? So let's yeah. say Evangeline, you see how she run around all over the place? Yeah. Well, I hold her hand in a parking lot by a road, and there's trucks yeah. and stuff going by. She can try to pull away all she wants. I'm not going to let her go. In fact, the harder she pulls, the, the tighter I'm going to grab. Yeah. And so I think, you know, Jesus says, I lay down my life for the sheep. Yeah. Right? So if we belong to him, even if we're not faithful, he's going to be faithful. Yeah, he's going to be faithful. And yeah. he's going to do whatever he has to do to bring his his sheep back to himself. So that... That may be a point of like something we could talk about later offline about that. So you br you came back. So I'd say Jesus was faithful to you, and he he brought you back. Yeah, and I was strong. Was my dad alive yet when that happened? How old, how old were you? Hmm. Do you know how old you were? Uh that's okay if you don't. I think okay. I was in he my was, 30s. So my dad was my dad was 22, he said. Yeah, I 22. think I was in my 30s at or so. Yeah. yeah, so he would have been at college, I'm but, guessing. Uh, I never thought I'd ever get to tell that. But and you I were did. 44. But anyhow. It's a good thing, it's a good thing because he brought you back, 71 yeah. years of marriage. And uh, I was stronger when I come back, too. So, you would, so, so for guys that were thinking about when their marriage gets tough, you'd say, don't run off. Don't run away. Yeah. Work, work it out. Is that what you'd say? Well, we came back, we worked everything out, and been stronger ever since after yeah. that. Y'all had some good parties and stuff. I, I saw big celebrations on your anniversaries, and I saw that you oh, were on yeah. a rented a boat one time and had a big party. Fifty years, right yeah. Here. That uh, Mavis gave me that ring, mm -hmm. and uh, that was my fifty year. I told somebody to give me the seventy one year ring you know <laughs> yeah yeah but nobody ever had yet uh-huh but yeah. i tell you we had a good life i i have no i have no uh anything to say about it uh but we had a good life yeah i've owned three houses in my time mm -hmm. i gave one back to the church when i was in petersburg preaching uh I gave, I gave a house trailer back to the church, mm -hmm. and uh, you just can't outgive God. I want to say that some of you people out there don't pay your tithes. You ought to pay your tithes because it's a blessing to pay your tithe. It's more of a blessing to give uh, out of your pocket to somebody who needs some money. It, mm. it just thrills me to death uh, to give somebody. Money that's either playing for music on the street or begging money. Uh, 
I think the last time I gave money was to a violin player. He was trying to get money for his children, you know. And mm -hmm. I gave him some money, and that made me feel so good. Uh, but Jesus is good. I'm a, I wish, sometimes I wish I was uh, preaching the gospel again. Of course, some people might uh, get mad at my preaching. They always have, but I'm still alive today. Mm -hmm. Uh <laughs> Thing that bothers me so bad, the under the Democratic Party, they have killed 65 million babies, and nobody won't say nothing about it. Mm -hmm. And I believe that's why we have this pandemic. I believe it's the judgment of God. Yeah, well, you know, we uh, we talk about it a lot here. I also did a whole series on uh, suffering and evil, and uh, it's very clear that God is in control of all things. He's even in control of uh, the pandemic and everything that goes yeah. on. And God judges the nations, and he raises up nations. And I've said for a long time, uh, I mean, you, you just follow right through Romans 1, you, you can tell that we're, our nation is under the judgment yeah. of God. Because Romans 1 is really about what it looks like when God judges a culture and God judges right. a nation. And we're Romans 1 uh, right now. Um, God always punishes and destroys nations that uh, have sacrificed their children to idols. Right. And that's what we compare it to here. You know, we're more sophisticated with the way we sacrifice children, but, mm -hmm. uh, you know, the ancient people would sacrifice their children to their various gods. Right. So they make their children pass through the fire. Well, look at any nation that made their children pass through the fire. Uh, God destroyed that nation. Right. Um, and uh, the same thing will happen to our nation unless we repent. Oh, I'm or in any other nation on the face yeah. of the earth that ever follows suit, uh, God is patient and merciful. And uh, while there's still time, I think you know we uh, we ought to heed the warnings that yeah. are found in the scriptures. Well, uh, we uh, we done one other thing uh, when they passed this homosexual law. We sent 97 letters to congressmen and senators, and we uh, told them what would happen to this country if they passed that law. And uh, Jerry, he was in on that. He helped me write the letter because he's more business type, you know. And uh, uh, they passed another law for the homosexuals mm -hmm. to do what they want to do, you know. But California has never quit burning yet. You know that? Yeah. Uh, I think it was the 17th or 18th chapters of Leviticus where the Bible says the land will spew you out. And that's what this country's doing today. The land is spewing people out, you know? Mm. And uh, if we don't do something, yeah, people's got to repent. Uh, this government, I think, is the worst government I have ever lived under, under mm. in the United States. And we're going to lose it if the people don't rise up and Call on God. Nobody has ever said, let's call on God, let's fast, let's pray. Uh, what, First Chronicles seven fourteen. if my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves and seek my face, then will I hear from heaven, then will I heal their land. Yeah. And I love this land. It's beautiful. I've been in foreign countries. I've seen that places in and uh, it ain't like the United States. This is God's country. God has blessed this country. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, the one thing that you can always uh, take from from the Bible and that our hope is um, God never promises that America will stay around forever or no, any country. He nope. But he, he's, Jesus says that um, that he will build his church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. So no matter right. what happens to whatever nations on the planet, uh, Jesus has a church, he's building it, and it will persevere to the end. No nation will conquer it, it will continue on. Uh, and I firmly believe that 2,000 years from now, in some place, if Jesus doesn't return, some country will read about America in a history book, right. and in that same country there'll be a gathering of local Christians yeah. gathering, and it will continue on. Did you know there are more Christians? This is going to blow your mind, Grandpa, because you probably don't know this. There are more Christians in China right now. Oh, there, I wouldn't doubt that a bit. Than there are people in the United States of America. I wouldn't doubt it. I wouldn't doubt What'd it. What do you think about that? 
I think it's true. Yeah. So though, you know, I, I understand how you can get really sad about it. You've given a lot to the country and, you know, you're invested in it. And same thing I think would say for me or for my dad, we love the country. We're willing to die for it. But one thing we love more than, than this country would be the church. And so we know, you know, even if this country, uh, disappears, that we're looking for a greater country whose builder and founder is God. And that this is what we're working for. And the church is our, uh, our our main allegiance is will always be to the church. Right. Yeah. So thank, thanks for joining today for the podcast. I hope people uh, enjoyed it. I think it's really neat to be able to talk to to uh, to veterans, and I hope I hope people learned a lot and they were maybe edified and encouraged, and could um, it would help them in their own walk with the Lord to be able to follow Christ right. and to be better. That's the name of our podcast: Conform to Christ. Right. And I think it's always fun, you know. Um, of all of my relatives, my personality is probably more like yours than anyone else. I don't know if you know that or not. Now, I hope you are. You probably they put us in a room together and they throw a topic out there. They're probably going to want to leave the room because you and I are just going to fight. You know that we'll just fight at each other. We're, <laughs> we're both fight. We're both both fighters. You know what I mean? That's right. Yeah. Uh, which could be good. It can also be bad, right? right. <laughs> we could get ourselves into trouble sometimes. Um, so you know, I, I know that I'm I'm a lot like you and your personality, and uh, maybe a little bit like grandma too. A little sassy, like my grandma, your wife. Yeah, she's a little sassy, huh? Yeah, she was a little sassy sometimes. <laughs> yeah, so she well, th- said a little sassy thing. I, I heard her say some real sassy things <laughs> that I can't say on this podcast, Grandpa. Oh, me. <laughs> Uh, well, thanks thanks for joining us today. Um, glad you tuned in with us. Hopefully it was a benefit to you. If it is, please like. Give us a like, subscribe, share. And as always, we hope that this helps you to be more and more conformed to Christ. <laughs>